precious and gracious Lord, we thank you for the privilege of worshiping the true God who made us and who runs the universe, who holds everything by his mighty word, and who saved us and who forgives us. We commit this time unto your holy hand, O Lord, Amen. and you pray that you lead us by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Lord, not only for what you do for us, but mostly for what you are Amen. for us, our Heavenly Father. Blessed be your name in <laughs> Jesus Christ. Amen. That song you've just sung there was written by a lady, I think she was called uh, Adelaide, if that's how you pronounce it, Adelaide Pollard. She set herself to raise money to go in a mission field in Africa, I think it was, and she did all she could, the desire the zeal was there, but she failed to raise enough money. She became really, really frustrated with that and uh, very discouraged. One day she attended a service. She was sitting next to an elderly woman, and the woman was just mumbling something. And she tried to pay attention to what the woman was saying. The woman was saying this. It doesn't really matter what the Lord wants to do with our lives. Let us, just, let us just have him have his way in us. That lady, that's really, really, really cut her heart because she was so discouraged. You know, she knew that God wanted her on a mission field, but then she didn't raise enough money. She was discouraged, and that word was like a revelation to her. And when she went back home, she wrote that song, Have Thine Own Way, O Lord. Going in a mission trip was a good thing to do. It was godly. But if God did not allow that, so be it. <clears throat> Last Wednesday, we had an old staff event at work. And uh, one of the things we do before we start, because we have uh, staff scattered nationally all over the place. And once in a year is an opportunity to see everybody, about 60 people. So we go through a session, a nice breaker session, something like that. Uh, I know there is a specific name for that, I don't, I don't remember. Where you write a secret thing about yourself and people have to go around trying to match you with that thing. And he who has the most is the winner. And someone had written, singing, 
in a local choir. Now, the way the game goes, you go to as many people as possible and you try to match them up. And I had about five people coming to me, you singing in a local choir. <laughs> I thought to myself, do I look like a singer or someone who sings in a local choir? I said, no. People were shocked. <laughs> and in the end, I reveal, I say, no, there was something else there. Yes, I like music, but in a negative way. What I had written was, I've had a brand new guitar for 10 years. I've never played it. <laughs> and then someone was very shocked, and she came to me, a colleague, and she said, you don't look like someone who can give up on when you start something. I said, well, you've just seen it. So what I mean is this, those are perception from that. Maybe I give an impression that I'm so persistent, but I'm not. See, God is not misled by that. God sees inside. He's not misled by me, about us. They were all wrong. Maybe some of them know wrong as well. You see, God is not impressed man. God looks inside. Revival, a new spirit in a new heart, part two. Let's start from verse one to verse six. That's Jeremiah chapter one, chapter 18, one to six. And I am reading. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the porter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Verse 3. Then I went down to the porter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay, so he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the porter to make. Verse 5. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this porter? Says the Lord. Look, as the clay is in the porter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Amen. The clay being mud in the, in the potter's hand means he had the latitude, the decision to make on what he would do next with that in his hands. Because the first work did not perfect, it wasn't perfect, he had to restart again and decide what to do next with that raw material in his hand. So the porter had the final decision on what to do. Everything was at his disposal as to the next course of action. Well, if you've observed a porter doing that work, you will notice that that is something not rare. It happened quite often when they do that work. 
But you see, the thing that was to be done, the end product, the porter has enough sufficient knowledge. So he's mastering the intended purpose, what needs to be done with it. Actually, that will end up. The key thing in this thing, in this scripture for me, as I see it, is as it seemed good to the porter to make. The second attempt, the next course of action is according to the intended purpose of the maker. In verse 5, there is something else. Can I not do with you what I want to do? That's what it is. Can't the porter do what he wants to do with the clay? Good question. And then, as the clay is in the hand of the porters, so are you in his hands. That's the Lord. Whatever picture you see as I'm talking, try to project the same, try to see the same as you and me being the clay and God being the porter. And giving him the opportunity to decide on the next move with our lives. The clay is being transformed by the porter and notice that it is all happening in the porter's house. He is the master of the house, he is the master of the raw materials, he is the master of the end product, he knows his intended purpose for it, Everything is to and for him in his house. The porter knows the future value and use of the end product. Now, suppose, let's assume that the clay was a person. What do you think the reaction will be? You know, just being changed all the time, you know, they, they cut a little bit and they change again, they do something else. And, wow. Especially if the clay knows that the end result will be to be proudly displayed in a marketplace or in the king's palace. Just do quickly. I want to be there. I want to be seen. Do quickly. If the clay was a person. I guess the question would be, why do you continue to change me into another vessel? I'm just me. That's enough. Just finish me and use me. Suppose the porter was God. He would reply this. Who are you to reply to me like that? You belong to me. I bought the raw material. I know what I want to do with you. I know my intended purpose with your life. 
Suppose the porter was God, he would say, will the thing formed say to me, who formed you, why are you made me like this? If the porter was God. Does not the porter have the power over the clay? From the same raw material, he has the decision, the power, to make something else. To make a different thing from what he was doing before. He has the power to do so. And the ability to do so. Coming near the New Testament, he has the power to make a vessel, I mean, I almost say vase, but because it's in French, vase. He has the power to make a vessel of honor or a vessel of dishonor. He has the power to do that. Now, who is the porter and who is the clay? Please turn with me to Isaiah 64 first. Isaiah 64 verse 8. At Isaiah 64 and verse 8. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you our porter. And all we are, the work of your hand. Does that make sense? As we move forward now, then we can begin to talk about people now, not just raw material. So the Lord is the porter, and we are the clay. Good. The answer I've just given to you there, if the porter, which we know now is God, would say, I formed you. Why are you questioning me? Why are you challenging me? I formed you. You can't tell me what to do. That scripture is found in Romans chapter 9. But it's originally a quote from Isaiah 20. Nine, I think verse 14. So it's a quote from Isaiah 29. The original context of that kind of resistance and questioning God, etc., the original context of that in Isaiah 29 was that people gave themselves their own commandments. They despised God who made them and begin to pretend to fear God but based on the commandment of man. That's not real fear. That's not true fear of God. That's something else. Remember the Nicolaitan. We touched that later on. So people came up with their own systems, their own rules and commandments which replaced the authority of the sovereign God in his house. 
So you see, when we're talking about the clay and the potter, it's not just a debate about evolution and creation, it's about obedience as well. The main problem here is sin and disobedience and rebellion against God. That's the main issue. Even the original text in Jeremiah 18 is in the same context of the Lord telling them, you know, calling them to repentance, Israel, come back to repentance. If you don't, I will punish you. So it's all about obeying God and trusting his words. Well, in the original context of Isaiah 20, 29, verse 15 to 16, it, it, the, the people actually were honoring God, but with their lips. What does it say precisely? Let, let's, let's look at that. Let's look at Isaiah 29 precisely and see what it says. Isaiah 29, verse 15 to 16. That Isaiah 29, verse 15 to 16. Woe to those who seek deep to hide their counsel far from the Lord, and their works are in the dark. They say, who sees us? And who knows us? Surely you have things turned around. Shall the porter be esteemed as the clay? For shall the things made say to him who made it, he did not make me? Or shall the things formed say to him who formed it, he has no understanding? Can we correct God? Can we tell God what to do in his house? Go slightly up and see verse 13 in the same chapter. Therefore the Lord said, inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but have removed their heart far from me. And their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of man. That's the context. So willfully, people have removed their heart from God. Exactly the same what happened in the book of Ezekiel. They started to bring abomination in the house of the Lord with the intent to remove God from his house. So people just take pleasure in removing their heart from God. That cannot be the fear of the Lord. That's something else. So you see, that's the broader context of the whole topic here. And we have to be very, very, very careful. We have to live by the word of God. And be very, very, very careful as to the way traditions of men creep in and can influence everything. Have you read that? Surely they've turned everything around. In French it says, what a perversity. Turning things around and start correcting God who gave his word for our good. And, so, and you see, and that's the whole problem. The Lord 
versus the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans in Revelation, it's, it's a problem. A lot of traditions of men replacing the word of God to our shame. Here is an example. I'm taking it from the Lord. On the issue of divorce, you know the Bible, you know that. The Lord is against it. Emphatically, the Bible says God hates divorce. We don't need two interpretations for that. No way out. God hates divorce. And the Lord is telling the Pharisees, you have replaced God's word with your own tradition you inherited from the fathers. And they said, did not Moses say all you need to do is to give your wife a certificate and then divorce her? And the Lord said, is that really the original intent, God? Haven't you? And the Lord quotes from Genesis 2.24. Traditions. Another tradition is the Bible says, in fact, it's among the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother. That's not something small. You cannot change that. However spiritual you may be. Your father, your mother, you have, it's a must. It's an obligation. It's a commandment from God to honor them. Okay. Move on. The Lord is saying something about that. Because people had replaced the word of God with their own tradition. Do you know what they were telling people? Whatever you've put aside from your money, bring to the house of the Lord. Because God is higher. The Lord say, no. What was that word again? Corban, not Corbin. Corban. <laughs> if you say that Corban, they begin to tell people, bring it to the work of God, for the work of God. Bring it to the church. Bring it to the temple. Because if God, you know, God is right. The Lord say, no. You're voiding the word of God. You can't leave your parent dying there under the pretext that I'm going to serve. No. In that particular context, honor your father and your mother. It is a must. It's a commandment from God. But they start cheating and replacing the word of God with traditions. So many traditions in here. You can begin to see, if you're someone who advocates traditions, you can begin to see the danger. Because if we start all practicing our own tradition, then there's no room. Some of them may please us. Some of them may not. But we need to leave them aside altogether. We all want to be used by God in his house, and that's legitimate. That's the right thing to do. That's a good aspiration. That's a good state of heart to want to serve God. But I have two questions. First, are we willing to let God have his way in our life and to transform us 
into the kind of persons he wants us to be before he can use us in his house. Are we willing? Second, are we willing to let him move us from the startup position where he found us to the point where he wants us to be with him? Are we willing? Or are we just happy where we are? You know, that's how I am. I don't feel like changing, I don't like it. That's what I am. Or are we willing to let God have his own way in us and move us to the place he wants us to be with him? Have thine own way. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we are called not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind in order to prove what that is acceptable, good, and perfect will of God. It's very difficult, very, very difficult to discern the ways of the Lord. But we need him. Every passing hour, every time we need God. But then we need God to transform us, to bring about that renewing in our mind. And he does that by his Holy Spirit. Are we willing to let God transform us? Or we just enjoy where we are, that who I am. That me, I can't move. I've been doing like, in our church, we've been doing like this. That's what I learned when I became Christians. There is a progression. There is a progression with the Lord. We grow. I must have told you this before. You know, English is a very good language. You know, you find stuff that you don't find in other languages. One of them is childhood, childlikeness, childishness. <laughs> you say childhood is normal. But if it doesn't develop, it becomes a problem. But childishness, 20 years old, doing, nobody wants that. And then childlikeness does not mean you are a child. But that is in your relation with the heavenly father. The way you approach, the way you love, the way, the way you obey, the way you trust him. That being like a child. And that's the faith we want to have. English is good, I told you. Okay, let's move to a second reading. Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 2. And verse 2 Timothy 2, 19 to 21. That's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 to 21. I'm reading. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, they are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful 
for the master, prepared for every good work. That's what I meant. The Lord God wants to prepare us. He wants to equip us. He wants to train us. Are we willing to let him do that? In his own way. On his own term. Or are we desperate just to serve, just to do something? One day I was in a church and the person who was leading the service said something like this. He said, make some noise for the Lord. Wow. Some noise, anything. Anything for the Lord. Do you know that song that says, may it be a sweet, I don't want to offend you. A pastor once was teaching deception and confusion and after about an hour of twisting the scripture he began to sing may it be a sweet sweet really I don't want to offend you offend you if it's your favorite song but let's just be careful with what God hears from our hearts So, again, the context here in 2 Timothy is all about what the Lord thinks about us. The Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows. He can't possibly be mistaken. He knows. And the solid foundation stands. What is that foundation? It's the next sentence. He who names the name of Christ should, must depart from iniquity. That's the biggest evidence. Because our blessed Savior and Redeemer came to take away the sin of the world. And if we've been redeemed by him and we know him, we shouldn't be friend of sin. John the Baptist said, show by your deeds that your lives have changed. Yeah. You see, God is not impressed by the abundance of what we say or what we appear or our worship. God sees inside what is our position with him. That's the most important thing. And by the way, he says, God seeks those who worship him in spirit and in truth. So the Lord is not impressed by the abundance of our work, our words, or our position, but the attitude of our heart before him. Elijah walked before God. You know what that means? Okay. When your child is learning to walk, you are very careful because you know anything can happen to him. And it's a great joy to be just behind and seeing the child going there. And you can anticipate the danger and everything. That's how the Lord wants us to walk before him in that sense. The solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, let he who name sight, quotes, 
the name of the Lord depart from evil. Very, very, very important. The church is both the ground and the pillar of truth. We have to fight sin in the church. We have to fight so that those who are joining the church will find hope and will see something different because of the way the redeemed themselves behave, because of the redeemed attitude to sin, hostility against sin. Very, very important that we let the Lord do the work in our hearts daily. We should not entertain things that the Lord hates. You see, in Revelation, the church of Ephesus, the Lord said this to, her, to them. I have this against you. One thing, just one. One. But to the church of Pergamos, he said, I have few things against you. Quite a lot. And one of them was what? They loved the doctrine of the Nicolaitan, what God hates. But the Ephesians were commended for hating the doctrine of the Nicolaitan, which God hates too. They were commended for that. We should hate what God hates and love what God loves. Not the opposite. Otherwise, it's a disaster. Does that make any sense at all? Otherwise, what are we doing? If the Lord says we should love one another, if the Lord says we should be submitted to one another, if the Lord says we should forgive one another, if the Lord says we should prefer others' needs, if the Lord says we should esteem others as being better than us, so should it be. If we do something different, then it's something different. The Lord wants to change us. The Lord wants to do his work in our life, in our heart. Humility, love, forgiveness, loneliness of mind, those things are godly. Those things move the church forward. Those things move families, husband and wife forward. Too much selfishness within, between couples. Pride high esteem of self breaking families where is hope if the Lord says he hates divorce and the world is promoting divorce I told you the other day a website where they say do it yourself 37 pounds in 10 minutes you complete the process and they put they send you PDF Final documents. Do it yourself. That's what the world say. But the Lord God says he hates divorce. By saying he hates divorce, he's warning us as to how we can avoid it. Humility. Forgiveness. Selflessness in the couple. Those things are very important. If we despise, we neglect those things, then we're living by the world standard. And the consequence is we begin to tolerate those things. 
Do you know the problem? The real problem in the church of Pergamos? The Lord says, I know your work. I know that where you dwell, it's where Satan has his throne. I know that. So, the problem was, because of the pressure, demonic oppression, and persecution, from within the church, some people begin to tolerate, to seek acceptance from outside. In other words, what Satan could not get from outside through persecution, he infiltrated the church to do an inside job by promoting compromission. Well, it's just too, that's too much. That's harsh. That's too rigid. You know, we can do it. You know, it's not a problem. Homosexuality, after all, they just love each other, etc., etc. Let's just do that. Otherwise, we're gonna, you know. That's the same work that is being done outside, but from inside. And when it's being done inside, then those who desire to live a godly faith will be persecuted. So the same work that is being done from outside is now done from inside for the same purpose of destroying the church. And we have to be very, very careful. Cling on. You see, resisting the devil is not a slogan. No. It's not just a declaration, we resist you. No. I think it says, resist him with a firm, steady faith. And the Bible says, with which we'll be able to quench all the fiery darts, flaming arrows, faith in God, and shaken. That's what we need. Not just empty declaration and worshiping from the lip. We need to know God. We need Christ to reveal himself daily to us, to teach us, because the fight is intensifying. It's going to be tough and tougher and tougher and tougher. How are we going to stand? The word of God. He told, I think it was the church of Philadelphia, I think, because you've kept the word of perseverance, how will keep you from the trial that is coming all over the world? How will keep you too? Because you've kept the word of perseverance, it's called. So, the Bible is not just a set of don'ts and do's and do's. No. If that's the wrong impression we're giving to the unbelievers, then we are wrong. We need that intimate relationship with God. That's what we need. Not a set of rules. Otherwise, that's merely religion. And religion is so hard. Imagine if you have to live by Christ's standard on your own. It's impossible. Is it impossible? Then we are offering an impossible Christianity to people. And people see it as an impossible thing. Christ has fulfilled the law. And he has given us the Holy Spirit. This brings me to another problem, which I call the starting point. We have to get it right from the start. If we see Christianity as a set of rules, then it's impossible. It's hard work. But the Lord says, the greatest commandment is, you shall love 
the Lord your God with all your hearts, all your spirit, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And your neighbor as yourself. That's the starting point. And he says, all the rules, all the laws are fulfilled in those, that one commandment because it's one. That's the starting point. Loving God, receiving him in our hearts, having his Holy Spirit leading us with evident fruits. The contrast is so clear between the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh. And we can see where God is working and where he's not working. And things become easier. Did the Lord say his yoke is lighter? Yes, that's what he said. And we should see things in that perspective. If we cling on to the Lord, he will make it easier for us. Otherwise, it's a set of rules. Rules. If we are not willing to surrender our hearts to the Lord, then we are merely following a religion. I've said that already. <clears throat> we should not miss the starting point. I've said that already. Now, he who desires to follow Christ must do what? Take up his cross and follow him. Action. Very, very important. He who desires. It has to come from your heart. It's a personal matter. It's a personal relationship with God. One must receive God because everyone not receiving Christ will have to stand before him. He who desire. It's not about coming to the church to please my spouse. It's not about clinging on to my father's faith. It's not coming to the church because my husband wants me to come to the church. Yeah, it's a family thing. Yeah, no. He who desires must take up his cross himself. And guess what? The cross is not to crucify someone else. It's yourself. I remember one brother saying, my I have the ministry of crucifying other people. Therefore, I'm the hammer. <laughs> that wasn't the case with Christ. He took the cross for himself. <laughs> and be prepared for that. So, the desire to follow Christ, the desire to be transformed in his likeness, the desire to see him one day, and the desire to be with him eternally. That's our blessed hope. Psalm 26, verse 2, David prayed, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. Remember, that was a man after God's own heart. So you can't say he was the, the, the worst sinner. No, he was a man after God's own heart. Countless times he's praying like that. He knows what it means to be forgiven. He knows the joy of salvation. He delights when he's confessed his sin and he's repented. He can make a difference when the fellowship is broken with God and when it's restored. He can feel the difference of that. 
In Psalm 129, 20 to 24, he prayed again, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is anything wicked, any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. He was mindful of the final abode, final destination. He wasn't all about today. He was about day by day and with each passing moment in view of eternity that was in mind. That's why we've been saved to spend eternity with God. We've been saved from the wrath to come. Not to be the most rich, the richer people in this world. May the Lord create in us a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit in us. May the Lord cleanse us thoroughly from within and make us holy for him. May the Lord fill our hearts with his spirit of love, humility, and forgiveness and mutual submission to one another. May the Lord set us apart for him and make us ready to do his will. He is the porter and we are the clay. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you will continue to change us into more of your likeness by your Holy Spirit. May you transform us into the kind of persons you want us to be for your glory. You are the porter indeed and we are the clay. We are your people and the sheep of your pasture, O oh Lord. Help us to be willing to let you have your way and to let your reign, you reign supreme within our hearts. To the glory of our heavenly father. Jesus, you are changing us. Have thy own way. Amen. Amen. God bless you.